0: Hello, welcome to the Film Geek Collective. Today we are going to review Zodiac. This is episode 102. I cannot believe I'm past the 100 episode mark. Now, it's a film about a serial killer, so we're going to mark this podcast explicit. Not that any of my usual listeners seem to mind that. If I let loose with a fuck or a shit or something like that. I mean, a lot of you swear too. It's, it's natural, it's human. Anyway, um... <laughs> anyway, so... I really did like Zodiac, but I can't... I think I have some problems with it, which I'll explain in the spoiler section. Uh, Actually, no, not in the spoiler section. I'll explain it in the non-spoiler section, because I think it can be... I think that can be said without saying too much. But overall, I really liked There were some great sequences of tension. The cast is great. We got Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, and yeah. Believe it or not, these three would appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in different movies. Well, you know, I think Rob Downey and uh, Mark Ruffalo appeared together. But on with Zodiac, you know? So, yeah. (sighs) What to do now? Okay, let's get on with what I think. Alrighty then, so here's the music coming in for you now. Alright, so... Some people say the 90s was the best decade for movies, music, and you know, I, I might debate that myself, but <laughs> I mean, you know who you people are saying the 90s is the best, the 90s are cool, they're kickass and all that, but at the same time, I really just like the 70s and the 80s, oh man, that just makes my heart pump. <laughs> but anyway, so naturally Zodiac was going to appeal to me in some way seeing those old typewriters hearing the chatter in the offices. In fact, when's the last time in a in a film from, what, 2000 onward, that you've heard people chattering away in the background, telephones ringing, ring, ring, just, just all that stuff? You hear it in Superman the movie, which I pointed out in that podcast, in fact. So, yeah, I, I like when you have ambient noises like that. I like that they kept true to the period, that they had the cigarette smoke in various places, that uh, they used some terms that just would not fly today but were normal back then. I like that the filmmakers did that, you know? But otherwise, I really like the subtle camera movement. I mean, sometimes it's not so subtle, like, you know, it'll, it'll pan to get someone, but it's subtle in the way that David Fincher usually has this technique, okay? So if a character looks up the character will slightly, very slightly tilt up with their head. If a character moves slightly, the camera moves with them. It's almost like, hey, we're dead on. That's that's our focus. We're a wasp and we're about to sting this guy. <laughs> okay. Um. So, okay. Maybe that was a good analogy. Maybe that was not. But anyway, I think that now I shall be getting into spoiler territory to explain soon, but overall, Zodiac is a sometimes frustrating experience. But I'm not going to go spoil it yet, I will say some negatives I had about it, particularly during the middle, is when I, I, there's nothing in particular that they could have taken out, but at the same time, I really thought that they could have, they, they really could have, I don't know, what is it, how do I articulate this? But. I I think the boredom might have been intentional and I appreciate it if that's what they were going for. But at the same time, it's not really pleasant as a viewer. I mean, the whole film's not too pleasant as a viewer. It's a, it's a good film in places. It's, it's a great film. It's a good film overall, I, I'm telling you. But, you know, I think that you have to be a very patient viewer to sit through Zodiac and not get bored at least once. It's frustrating as it would be for okay, before I before I get into spoilers, I'm going to go, and I'm going to do the shoutouts. Okay. First of all, I would like to mention that there is a Chris in Melbourne who I know. I won't say the surname because you know I don't want to breach privacy or anything like that. But uh, also, shout out to the person who requested this particular one. I asked her if she wanted to do this one uh, someone called, uh, Jolene, and I resist the song because, you know, my podcast might get copyright claimed if I do that, anyway, so, uh, at, uh, jmr-18 is that one, and I'm adding her to the shoutouts because she requested the episode, but I also know that, uh, Tessie Cat, she absolutely loves Zodiac, recently cre- created a letterboxed list that, uh, top favorite films of all time, okay, so, uh, it's hard to pick ten, I know, Anyway, so okay, shout outs to her, her, Elsie Cool, Film Marmotik, Zach Ascot, Real Sharks Podcast, aka River Shaku, Schlock Luster Video, Cinema Madness Podcast, the Chris What? Yes, that feels great every time I say it. I know there's like two Chrises in this particular shout out list. Apple Park Films, Rob Motto, Fizz Podcast, which is actually known as Pop and Fizz Podcast, Hamish Downey, Ashy Slushy, My Belly and Fish Films 82, Mary Amber. One of my favourite small musicians, please go check her Twitter out. Uh, KO, Savage Abbey, Lee JM75, Autistic in Melbourne, Naked Airplane, Still Mellow, Heavenly Imagine, Contrera, Rose Bagali, Larry 1937, 2621, Talk Me Into, Films with Amy, Zeus, Caution Spoilers, I'm Just Here for the Violence, Uh. <laughs> classic Blonde, El Salt 1, and finally, Eric Sloss. You know, I mean, I, I give I give these shout-outs because you guys have been particularly great, you know. But anyone who's listening to this and enjoying it, any, anyone who watches the videos, listens to the podcast, enjoys it, you know, they're all part of the collective. This was my basic concept from the beginning. Everyone who enjoys it, everyone who wants to contribute something can be part of the collective. It's really a community thing. So, yeah, keep that in mind. No one is above another. I think I said that in uh, my third or fourth video. Can't remember now. Speaking of videos, before I get into spoiler territory, I know that I was due a new video, but something, something bad had uh, happened, unfortunately. So yeah, the bad thing that happened was that my my cat, who was in my first few videos, she sadly passed on. And it was a, it was a loss, I tell you, man. Oh, it just brings me down thinking about it. But, you know, rest in peace to her, and she's having a good life up there, alright? Well, good afterlife, it depends, you know, anyway. So, I now that I've put my tribute for my cat in here, let's go into full spoiler territory for the movie Zodiac. Now, I know I went off topic for a little more than I do do, do normally, but okay. Problems. Let's get to my problems with the film. It's just... Okay, so false lead after false lead, and the characters are feeling so, so, so frustrated, and I get that, and I get that we kind of have to feel frustrated with them, but I thought there might have been a better way to do that, maybe compress some of the months, maybe streamline the suspects so that there's maybe a few less, and I'm normally the type of guy who likes sort of slower films, you know? I sat through 2001, granted first time I hated it, but (laughs) second two times because Shazam! I love it. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, yeah, I really do think that uh, Zodiac was a good movie, like I said before. I mean, David Fincher's direction, the acting, I mentioned all that, and some people have said that the film is somewhat inaccurate, but I think they were trying to go for some accuracy, and there are scenes like the basement scene, which I'll get to a bit later, that are absolutely dynamite, and anyone who's seen the film will know exactly what I'm talking about. So yeah, Um, in fact, about the logos, a bit of trivia about those. Not only were they taken from the period, but they have subtle gate weave. That's when film stock is going through a film projector, and it very, very subtly shakes side to side, only really noticeable when the picture is still. Uh, A lot of releases at home of things shot on film straighten it out. Uh, granted, Zodiac, apart from the logos, um, was mostly shot on digital. Some shots were still picked up with 35mm, but David Finch is one of those guys who does the common thing of stabilising things. I miss Gateweave. You know, last time I saw it was when I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood on 35. So there's that little bit of trivia for you. Now, yeah, I noticed that the colours in Zodiac tend to skew toward yellows, browns, and, and whites. And I think that they sort of make it more drab deliberately and you know the, sure there's the black of the shadows but i'd like to mention there's one scene in which the couple there's a couple who are getting murdered at a park and there's the river behind them and there's the greens and the browns but i really think such a colorful piece of scenery really helps the contrast with the black figure who is the zodiac killer you know and i think that it's really just interesting. We don't definitively know who he is. That's, uh, I know the actual case ended with, uh, well, not ended, but it's still open in a few places, like it said at the end, but I love how, like, I, I, I hate, I hate how it happened because the authorities are still probably going to be looking for the killer, but... You know, as a narrative thing, I really do like the fact that we're not given closure. Sometimes it's good not to have closure. Sometimes you've got to make up your own mind, or sometimes you don't have enough evidence. Or I just like things that make you think, and this is one example of something that makes you think, you know? Almost like a twist ending in a movie, if you know what I mean. So, Yeah. Paradoxically though, things seem to move fast, and yet they feel slow, and like I was saying before. Actually, the script came in at about 200 pages, but the actors were just told to say the dialogue faster. I mean, not quite in like a His Girl Friday style or anything like that, but still. So, yeah. I think that uh, whenever you film a murder scene, it feels... Like, it, you have to establish the normality before the murder, in a way. I think that makes it a bit more chilling. Like, it could happen to you, and it could happen to you. People have reported to me that, you know, serial killer films are the scariest. They're scarier than anything supernatural because they know for a fact that it could actually happen. And I get it. You know, even if there's something, to me, even if there's something supernatural and it's rooted deeply into reality you know, it it would just chill you to the bone dealing with real-world issues, but here we are with a real-world killer who could, uh, you know, uh, it's not definitively known to be Arthur Lee Allen, who has passed on since, so who knows, but yeah, I really hope they can find some closure for that case, it's gonna kill me, well, not kill me, but okay, so like in a horror movie, the dread really takes over during the during anything where there's a threat of violence and there's a if there's one thing this film does right it's an inescapable sense of dread not even anxiety not even you know your heart your heart almost sinks instead of beating faster I mean it does kind of you get what I mean okay so yeah we're stuck mostly with the aftermath of the paperwork and the bodies and the shallow breaths and You know, the violent acts themselves are not gratuitously lingered on. It's fitting for a film about evidence, the things they leave behind, you know? But uh, yeah, the second murder involves psychological torture, something that in a way permeates the film. It's a film about obsession, but that becomes psychological torture. A woman has to tie her husband up and the killer ties them both properly, but then they stab him. I mean, that's just the most frightening thing and we as an audience like we put ourselves into whoever's shoes you put on screen if we're if we're stuck there helpless if we live vicariously through positive experiences we got to live vicariously through negative experiences too in, in a way i hope you get what i mean you know no no disrespect or anything but no, no disrespect to the real people. In fact, because it's real, I feel more sympathy. Like if it was a fake character, if it was fake characters being murdered, um, I might still feel some sympathy, but you know, these are real people. These are real people. And that, that knowing this actually happened makes it more chilling. I mean, that's pretty obvious, you know, I'm rambling a bit too much. So let's keep going. The big question is, what motivation does the man have? Even after the man and woman do everything he asks, he stabs the fuck. He stabs the fuck. Fo- oh, sorry, uh, he stabs them to fucking death. That's what I meant to say. I mixed up my words. Sorry about that. I should have done a retake there. <laughs> and then we we go back to the first man who we thought was murdered uh, a bit later. And honestly, I did think he was murdered in that in that first scene at night. But yeah, I like how it shows that it can happen during the night or during the day. You've got to be careful around the world. But uh, yeah, the notice in the film also there are close-ups only when they're important. That's a big David Fincher trademark. And I mentioned the overlapping chatter, the smoke, the typewriters. And, you know, there are two moments in this film that I just love that come early on. The fact that we hear a threat toward the school children and the kids about to get on the bus... And then Jake Gyllenhaal has to take him away and says, I'm going to drive you today. Now, now, that little piece of information, I mean, we sympathize with children a bit more. Uh, Okay, so moving on, I understand why they want to lie in that moment, but they ultimately don't, which I think is the right decision, you know, but I think that uh, one shot tells so much, you know. It's worse when you see that shot of the boy overhearing that on the TV. He's like, he kind of... I think the parents need to know more than the kids if he's that young. Because the parents can do something about it, whereas the kids might not. Uh, Anyway, so we, we never get the killer's perspective. We hear his voice. We hear a scream. We hear his thought processes just a little. And we never... We never are told whether he's faking any of the symptoms he says he has over the phone, you know? But yeah, I, due to the murders shown earlier, this is a bit like, the closest film I could compare to this two is No Country for Old Men, where, uh, you know, the violence is at first shown, but then it's implied or just talked about. I think it's great. We have a cold-hearted total villain in both of them. And we have acts of violence that are on screen, acts of strong violence that we we see for ourselves. And then constantly we have the threat of violence hanging over, you know. And yeah, also what all we hear is in one sequence, for example, uh, before like there's this guy in a truck and he's taking a woman and, uh, you know, he helps her with the car makes it right but then he offers her a ride when her car breaks down again and he's like before i kill you i'm gonna throw your baby out of the window and that that is all we need to just feel chills a baby indeed the baby is in the bush crying hysterically but we hear that he did not kill her and actually i think the baby seemed all right if i'm not mistaken but, yeah, we we do see the face of the truck driver. So, logically, by the film's rules, he could not be the Zodiac Killer. Little things like that, that just makes a very good crime procedural. I, I I tell you, there are plenty of positive points. I don't care how much this sometimes bored me. It probably bored the characters, too. And, again, I'm starting to wonder if that's deliberate, the monotony, you know? But, yeah... There's a concept I've mentioned before, actors walking right to left when they're doing something morally right, and sorry, no, 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 left to right when they're doing something morally right, right to left when they're doing something morally wrong, but in one case, Paul Avery, Rob Rob Downey Jr., he's walking right to left, he goes to see the Zodiac, but he doesn't see him. Also, bit of trivia, if you've made it this far, (laughs) which I know probably some of you have made it this far, at 72 minutes, the boss from Fight Club appears. Zach Grenier, the actor is called. He's also, for any 24 fans out there, you know who you are, uh, Carl Webb from season one. I've not seen that show, but I've read up about that actor and found that out. So, yeah. I think that uh, August uh, 1971 is a good example of how David Fincher uses his close-ups. There's the in- It's not a violent interrogation. They're just interrogating uh, one man who's like, he's the one who says, even if I was the Zodiac, I wouldn't tell you, you know? And there are close-ups that the detectives' faces and shoulders when they think they're getting something, anything. Otherwise, people are shot from the chest up in this scene. One detective questioning at least one of them looks directly into the camera, a la Hannibal Lecter almost, during a head and shoulders shot. (laughs) Note we see less and less of the characters' personal lives, the case has simply taken over. People become statistics to them, every phone call matters, the rare voice or breath of the Zodiac is what we look for, and the film refuses to satisfy our expectation most of the time. And yeah, there's actually actually one scene that I appreciated another small detail in. Uh, Mark Ruffalo's character is mentioned in a letter, but when that is mentioned on TV at uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's house, the TV's never let out of sight, as the story is on, even if it's in the corner. And the children helping with the Zodiac case? If that's not an obsession, I don't know what is. I mean, that's just, that's child abuse. Aren't they just too young to know about that stuff? Oh, boy. But, you know... It's it is a it is a good visual to show how obsessed he's actually been. I really like that they I really like that they did that in the movie. So yeah, at this point the only moments he's on screen with his wife is when he briefly passes and he's off screen in the other room or on screen in a separate angle. Perhaps this indicates further his disconnect as most of the shots of them together in this scene are shot reverse shot. Now, whenever is sorry. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, continuing. Whereas the single shot can work for some situations, uh, two cars pull up in front of a house seen from stairs, but then two men get out, run up into the house, David Finchin knows where cuts are necessary. Something like this can be done in one. I mean, I think it's at a point where the case is a bit more urgent, so... You know, I I think we should almost be worrying about the extra seconds with them, the extra seconds that they have to run up rather than cutting. At least that was my opinion. Keeping in mind I saw the director's cut, so if any scenes are not in the theatrical, <coughs> theatrical cut that I'm mentioning, then uh, just uh, let me know. Now that we are in spoiler territory, just in case, I'm going to find out what scenes were in the director's cut under alternate versions on imdb and i'm just going to read them straight up um but i might paraphrase them a little okay so apparently it contains five minutes of new footage uh brian cox melvin belly talks about his uh, safari trip um tosh sorry, Toski, Mark Ruffalo introducing himself to the police chief at Riverside, new scene between Gray Smith and Avery, three-way conversation, laying Lee as the suspect to get a search warrant, an extended audio montage over a black screen with the music and stuff, and just generally extra little bits of dialogue. See, that's, that's a bit interesting, you know? I, yeah, I never really, uh, I never really noted the d- differences because I've only seen the director's cut, but there you go, there are the differences for you. So, yeah. Well, the basement scene, huh? I promised I'd mention that. (laughs) We hear some creaking above and water trickles and a teapot whistles. But the man here acts like there's nothing there. I mean, some sound effects, some sound effects and two men acting against one another in addition to the little bit of almost ambient music all we needed for this scene, see also again in No Country for Old Men, which forfeited music almost altogether, at 148 minutes in Zodiac, then there's seemingly conclusive evidence, it's almost the dialogue is a bit faster, or just things feel more urgent, I think it goes back to the normal rhythm of, of just talking over a desk, but it feels a bit more urgent after the monotony we've gone through for half the film, which... If it's by design by now, I would not be surprised, but yeah. And another big thing about this film is not a single jump scare that I caught was ever used. It all relied on mood and atmosphere. And I know this is not a horror film, but David Fincher, please, please, please direct a horror film one day. You would be, you would scare the shit out of us, I swear. Well, you know, I'm sure the studios have enough money to buy us new pants. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, not a single jump scare. I can't believe it. It's almost like films in the 70s, like even horror films in the 70s, they relied less on jump scares. They had some, but only were important. The original Halloween, for example. Someone puts a hand on someone... Um, to, uh, false scare him, but there's no, <gasps> there's no scare cord, you know, there's just, hey, I'm, I'm here now, just bam. <laughs> so yeah, I think that this film never condescends to the viewer, that's one thing it's got definitely going for it. Now, keeping in mind on this podcast, I analyze and review films that I both like and hate. Hate as in natural born killers, like as in, uh, uh, oh, well, most of them, <laughs> and uh you know like quite like 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 just fine Zodiac you know you get what I mean okay I was trying to find an in-between for Zodiac because I do again I have some structural problems with it but I just can't pinpoint or articulate where I would have to probably watch it again sometime but yeah um I see that uh, a lot of you guys love this movie and you think it's Finch's best but I'm going to be in the minority and say that I think... Okay, I've seen Seven, Fight Club, Gone Girl, and Zodiac now. And I'd probably put Zodiac at the bottom. That's not to say it's a bad movie. It's not. But Zodiac's at the bottom for me, Gone Girl, and then Seven and Fight Club have to duke it out. But we don't talk about Fight Club, do we? <laughs> anyway, okay. So, now that that's all over, and i got to get this out because it's like two minutes to midnight... If you want to inspire, innovate, create, and electrify, we need your voice because you can change things for the better. You got me? Now go out there and innovate. Woo!